Is everybody doing okay this morning? Good. We're doing the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, and if it, if you, any way possible, you can stay. We'll have you out here. It'll be reasonable where you can get to lunch on time, but it's a great thing, great part of the Christian faith is taking of the Lord's Supper. In December of 1927, it's almost 90, uh, yeah, 1927, almost 90 years ago, a U.S. submarine, it was an S-4 submarine, was off the coast of Massachusetts, and it was struck by a United States Coast Guard ship. And when, at the initial impact of the, the, uh, the, the, when they crashed, it caused such an explosion that everybody in the submarine except six people were killed, and the sub sank immediately to the deep part of the ocean where they were off the coast. You got to remember, this is 90 years ago. The weather was terrible, but they sent divers down there. When they got divers down there, they found the compartment where the six remaining alive sailors were, and they could hear something coming from that area. It, it sounded like someone was ta- it took a hammer or a wrench and was beating against the side of the submarine. And as they got closer, they could tell it was Morris code, a language through tapping, and the sailors were asking, "Is?" their hope. Are we going to die? I mean, is there, is there hope that we're going to live? We're going to, we're going to be in Luke eleven twenty three this morning, and we're going to be talking about a subject that you and I desperately need to hear. We're going to be talking about hope. And I think there's going to be some great news in this subject, but let me tell you, if you're taking notes, boy, this is worth writing down. The biblical idea of hope is not the hope that we have in Santa Claus, that we hope Santa Claus will bring us the toys that we've asked for. Hope in human terms is wishful thinking a lot of times. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that what I am hoping for is going to take place. Did you get that? It's a confident expectation that what I'm hoping for will happen. And let me tell you this morning, number one, there is hope. There is hope. Now, there's hope. I want to tell you this morning, whatever your situation is today, that there is hope. There's absolutely hope. We're going to narrow our scope this morning to the spiritual realm, relationship with God for you and for those you love. In fact, but there's, there's no other area that's more important than this. And if this has not gotten right, no other area matters. If this has gotten right, everything else can fall together. But I want to tell you there is hope. But this story's shady. This story's interesting. This, there's a lot to it. But I want to tell you, despite the past, there is hope. Despite your past, despite their past, there is hope. Luke 23, verse 32 through 33 will begin. It says, there are two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Him is Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus and these other criminals. One was on his right, and the other was on his left. Years ago in Houston, Texas, there was a businessman who was friends with with his two United States congressmen. One was a Republican, one was a Democrat. They weren't buddy buddies, but they were friends, and they'd spent time together through the years. And the the businessman was dying at one point. He was in the hospital. He was going to die. 
It was during a break when the congressmen were home for Christmas, and he asked his wife, call these congressmen and ask them to come. I want them to be with me at the hospital. So they got to the hospital, and he asked one of them, he said, would you stand on the right of my bed and the other on the left? They began to talk, and after a moment, one of the congressmen said, look, we were, we were friends, but we weren't really close enough friends to, to be at your right and your left when you're dying. Why would you call us here? He said, Jesus was crucified between two thieves, and I wanted to die between two thieves too. That's a joke. That's why I use Republican and Democrat. Jesus, look at these. These guys here were bad dudes. We have some kind of misconception from Sunday school. There was a good thief and a bad thief. They they were bad dudes. The Bible says they were criminals. The word criminal in the Bible means a malefactor. They were a robber. They were malicious people. They were armed robbers. These were people that took stuff that belonged to someone else by force and had probably in the act of doing so had killed someone because they, in one of them's admission in a moment, they're going to be crucified and rightly so or justly so. They're premeditated murderers is what it amounts to. In verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged by Jesus railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Are you not the Lord Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and save others. The word rail is a a bad word. It means blaspheming someone. It means slandering. And the verbiage here is they kept doing it over and over and over. And Matthew and Mark tell the same story. And they they all had different details. In In Matthew 27, 44, it says, And the robbers, plural, who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. There wasn't a good thief and a bad thief. They were both doing this. These guys had bad past. They had bad enough past that they were criminals sentenced to die for their crimes and their past had caught up with them. What about you this morning? We want to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm going to bet that some of us have bad past. I've got skeletons. I've got locked in a closet. I hope no one but Jesus knows the key or combination to. Some of you do too. And occasionally someone will remind you of your past, won't they? God forbid, it may be a husband, it may be a wife, it may be a friend. It's certainly the devil that will whisper in your ear about how sorry you are, pathetic you are, the things that you've done in the past. I wonder on the cross if at some point these guys were hearing those same demons speak to them. But let me tell you something that is absolutely wonderful, phenomenally wonderful. Despite their past, we're going to see in a moment, and despite your past, there is hope this morning in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you this. Some of you are maybe a little self-righteous. You're going, you know what? I'm saved and I'm perfect. Well, that's great. you got a problem. You're not perfect. But you know people that are far from God today, that are lost, that are, are cr- people who claim to be Christians who are far from God. I want to tell you something wonderful. Despite their past, that person you're praying for and that you love and you care about, despite their past, their is hope. Folks, that's great news, isn't it? But here's something maybe even better. Despite the present, there is hope. There is hope this morning for you, me, and those we love despite the present situation, whatever that situation may be. In 1961, there was a steamer, literally the name of the steamer was the Save. It was off the coast of East Africa. It had 577 people on the boat, and it hit a sandbar. On this boat were many soldiers and a lot of ammunition, and when it hit the sandbar, it exploded. It literally became a floating fireball. 
One choice you have was to stay on the steamer and wait for help and possibly burn to death. That's a bad option, correct? The waters were shark infested. Jump off the burning boat into the shark infested waters. I've seen Jaws too many times. Real bad option to me. That's where women and children go first. They distract the sharks and you swim to shore, right men? The island that was near this was lion infested. How many of you agree? If you're on a burning boat, shark infested waters, and the nearest land has man-eating lions on it, your present situation is pretty bad. Amen? These guys on the cross, present situation was really bad. Let's read verse 32 and 33 again. Two other criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they... There they crucified him, one on his right and one on his left. We have a picture of the traditional place in Jerusalem where they believe Jesus may have been crucified. You get home this afternoon, you can look this up and see it better. It's called the place of the skull. You look at that picture. Can you see those two eyeballs there? Cindy and I were over there in 2011, and there's two sites. They say this is maybe in where he was crucified. This may be where the empty tomb was. This is the site I think it was, and especially if you look at older pictures, even 100 years ago, the, cro- the, the skull there is more defined. It was a horrible, even a horrible-looking, scary-looking place. Folks, when you were sentenced to be crucified, your present situation could not have been any worse. You were going to be flogged like Jesus was. People died during the floggings. It was absolutely horrible. Then you were going to be beaten. You were going to be spit on. Then if you're still alive, you were allowed to carry, well, this is a privilege, your own cross to the place where they're going to crucify you. Then they're going to lay you down, and they're going to nail you, not super glue you, not tie you. They're going to nail you to the cross. Then they're going to set that cross in place. It may separate your shoulders and elbows when it does that. And then you're going to hang there. Most of the time, they stayed alive for two or three days until they died from the elements or they died from thirst. If you were on the cross, you were in an absolutely hopeless situation, at least it looked like. In verse 41, it says, and indeed, justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. In other words, we're dying, we're here because we deserve it. Our situation is hopeless today because of what we have done. Wow. But here's the great news. Their situation wasn't hopeless. I don't know what you dragged into church this morning. Not physically, hopefully, but emotionally, spiritually. Sexual sin, and drug abuse. You're drinking way too much. You're drinking and you're not supposed to be drinking. You're a mean person. You're facing all kinds of issues that, that you've created for yourself. You look at your present situation, it's easy to go, man, I failed God, I failed others, it's hopeless. I want to tell you some tremendously wonderful news this morning. Despite your past, despite the present, despite what the present looks like in the mirror to you this morning, there is hope. Is that not wonderful? There is a confident expectation that things can turn out great spiritually. Isn't that what you need to hear? That's what I want to hear. Now, let's answer this question because this is huge. How do we experience this hope? If it's real and it is real, how do we experience it? If we give more money to the church, do we get it? I wish I could tell you that, but that's not true. 
If you help pay for my vacation fund, would that help? That might. I'll pray for you hard. But that's not going to do it. What do we need to do to experience the hope that we need to find? What are the people you love and you're praying for? What do you need to pray for them? How do you pray for them? What do you need to guide them to so they can experience the hope? I want to give you four things that I believe are found in this text. Here's the first thing, and that's ownership. That's ownership. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Remember, both of them were doing it. One of them has a change of heart. But the other rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. When he says we're being crucified justly, he's saying, we got the death sentence. We're suffering horribly, but our behavior warranted it. We gained what we, our behavior got us. You see, what happened, guys, is some of us aren't going to get it until the pain gets strong enough, until the heat starts coming up in our life, And then one of two things happens. You're either going to get bitter or you're going to get better. You're going to either fall away from God or you're going to fall toward God. There was a man who bought a parrot. It was a talking adult parrot. He didn't raise it. When he got it, the owner didn't tell him. The parrot talked terribly. This man, John, was a wonderful Christian man. The parrot was vile and vulgar. The parrot would cuss all the time. He would cuss John. The parrot was vicious and mean. He reasoned with the parrot. He tried to pet the parrot. He gave the parrot treats. He took the parrot to the parrot park, wherever that is, to walk him and to love on him. Never changed. One day, the guy had enough. The parrot was cussing him out. He opened the freezer, took that parrot, shoved it in the freezer, slammed the freezer shut. For two minutes, that parrot cussed nonstop. Then dead silence. Two minutes went by. John, who's a tender-hearted man, said, I have killed that parrot. He opens up the freezer. The parrot's alive. He comes out on his arm. And the parrot says, John, I am so sorry I've been terrible to you. And I promise from this point on to be the best Christian parrot I can be. I will never cuss you. I will be nice to you. We can watch the TV shows you want to watch. And John was astounded. He said, well, that sounds fun, wonderful. Is there anything else you would like to ask me? And the parrot said, yes. The, the, the beheaded chicken in the freezer, what did he do to you? <laughs> Sometimes you got to be stuck in the freezer or the oven before you're on it. Now, listen, here's what happened. This guy had a horrible past and he had a terrible present situation, but something happened in his heart and he quit blaming everybody else. He quit denying what one of the problems was and he said, I'm here because I deserve it. You will never find hope of Jesus Christ. You will never be saved until you're willing to look to Christ and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and it's mine. True story, Butte County, California, several years ago, an inmate escapes. They catch him at some family member's home two days later. If you escape from jail, don't go to family. Is that not silly? Go hang out at the mall, but don't go home. They're going to come look at home. I can't believe I'm giving you prison escape advice, but (laughs) that's the truth. So they catch this guy. Here's what, no lie, here's what he says. Well, I was out in the yard, you know, the prisoner. I'm practicing my pole vaulting, and I fell over the wall. 
And I walked around for 20 minutes trying to get back in the prison, but this is such a good prison, I couldn't get back in, and I had to go to family members. They're the only people I knew in the area. They didn't buy that, and you don't buy it. Listen, quit, quit, blaming, quit blaming your sin and your problems on your mom, your dad, your kids, your preacher, your church, your school system. All those, all those everything I may name may have issues. But you've got to own it. You're a Christian today. You're here as a Christian, and you're far from God. There may no doubt be people who played factors in you getting far from God. No question. But you've got to own where you are. You're praying for someone that needs to come to Jesus who's lost or, or, or somebody you believe who's a Christian who's far from God. One of the things that I pray, and you should pray for them, is they will own their sins and their problems. Ownership. Number two is understanding. Verse 40 and 41. But the other rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We are indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Did he, did he just call Jesus God? It says on Jesus' cross, he's the king of the Jews. When you read the whole story, and we're going to in a minute, this guy, he's got an understanding now. This guy's not dying for anything he's done. He's being killed for some other reason, but it's not for his own sin. Look in verse 42. And he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Folks, I want to tell you what, what this guy, he understands Jesus is the Messiah. He understands Jesus is the Christ. If I'm dying beside you, you're not going to look at me and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm not going into any kingdom. I'm going into his kingdom. He knew Jesus was going into his kingdom. He understood who was. Listen, you want to give your life to Christ today? There is hope despite your past or your present. But you've got to own your junk. And you've got to be willing to say, Jesus, I may not understand it, but I accept your God's son and that you died and you arose from me. Romans 10, 9 and 10 spells it out. It says, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Despite your past or your present, you can find hope in Christ today if you'll own your stuff And you're willing to acknowledge or understand or accept Jesus is the one who died and arose. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Some of you are Christians today. And you are not where you need to be with God. You need to own it. And this may sound kind of simplistic. But you know what? You've forgotten he's God and you're not. What I see of Christianity so much today is we make the rules. We serve Jesus how we want to serve. You know what that makes him? That makes him our servant, doesn't it? That makes me Lord, not him. To come back to God, Christian, part of it's a re-understanding that he's Lord. He's Lord. You're praying for that family member or friend. You need to pray. The Holy Spirit will convict them. They'll take ownership of their stuff and that they'll understand Jesus is the Lord and that's who they need. Let me give you the third word, and that's the word repent. Repentance. 
Verse 41, indeed justly we are receiving the due rewards of our wrong deeds. And this man has done nothing wrong. Boy, repentance is tough, isn't it? I mean, owning it's tough. Repentance is tough. Y'all remember Saddam Hussein? Saddam Hussein basically was the king of Iraq for, for many years. And I use the word king because anything he wanted to do, he did. If you don't, you never read much about him, you ought to. Wicked beyond belief. If he wanted to kill you, you're dead. If he wanted to take your wife, he's taking your wife. Anything he wanted to do. During the war, as the war began in the early 2000s, he eventually is captured. The king is found in an eight-foot hole with mice and rats, nasty, hadn't bathed or shaved in weeks. They take him out, they clean him up, and they take him to four Iraqi officials who are waiting to question him about his crimes against humanity. Was he owning it? Was he repentant? They said he was vile, vulgar, and defiant. He goes to trial. He's convicted. On December 30th, 2006, he is hanged for his sins, his crimes, and as far as we know, the whole time he is defiant. Listen, you can fight all, God all the way to hell, but you don't have to. What the thief on the cross did is he not only owned his sins, but he said, I'm going to turn from them. I would love after every sermon for you to come and hug me and say, that was the greatest sermon ever preached anywhere. You'd be lying, but I'd still love it. But you know what would be better? Is to see people be different. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of heart. Remember, I say this a lot. It's not perfection. It's direction. You see, you want to be saved today. You've got to say to Jesus, I'm owning my sins. I believe who you are. And God, with your help, I'm going a different direction. I'm following you. Some of you are Christians today. You need to repent. You need to quit being Lord of your life and let Jesus be Lord. You need to get back under him. You need to make him number one in your life again. There is tremendous hope, but you've got to repent. You're praying for people you love. Keep praying. Praying, but one thing you need to pray is, God, get a hold of their heart. God, let them own it, and God, help them to repent and turn from their sins. You see, this thief, this thief who is in the most hopeless situation is finding hope. Not because his daddy is buying him off the cross, but because he is owning his sins He's realizing who Jesus is and he's repenting. And here's number four that brings it together is the word surrender. Man, you see surrender from this guy. Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the context of this, man, this is a surrender of a heart. He's acknowledging Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. And his heart is being melted and surrendered to Jesus. We call this a, a, a deathbed salvation. Now, I know what some skeptical people think. Not even skeptical people. We think, ah, deathbed, foxhole conversions, that's phony baloney. People do that so they think they can get out of hell for free. Well, the truth is, if someone is saved on the deathbed, only God truly knows Unless that person is healed and lives 10 more years, then you, then you would be able to tell if it was real or not. But would you agree with me the, uh, that a person in a foxhole on a battlefield or in the ICU unit dying, 
that Jesus would know if it's for real. Do you agree with that? And that Jesus wouldn't make a mistake, I mean, if it was real. Verse 43, verse 43, such a tremendous verse. And Jesus said to him, truly, I and, and, and that word truly, we, we lose it in our English. Jesus is nailed to the cross, he, so he, he can't really beat on anything, but it's like he's, he's beaten right there. And he, it's emphatic, and he's saying, listen, I'm telling you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, they normally died two or three days on the cross. Jesus knows, doesn't he? Isn't that cool? It's a subtle thing. I mean, that guy's like, whoa, wait a second, we're going to die today? And you don't ever think that's a good thing unless you're hanging on a cross. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise is a Persian word. It means a walled garden or a park. Now listen, here's some cool things. The the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And Jesus' day, they had translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. They called it the Septuagint. That's probably the Bible Jesus read out of. And when the Garden of Eden, when it's Genesis 2 and 3, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, you know the story where Eve blew it and we all got kicked out of the garden and all that. The Garden of Eden is, is described as paradise. Isn't that cool? Three times in the New Testament, this word paradise is used. Every time it is synonymous with heaven. Folks, I don't know if it's the final heaven or not, but I want to tell you what, if Jesus looks at me and says, today you'll be in paradise, I don't care if it's the first heaven, the tenth heaven, or the final heaven, it's heaven. This guy got saved on the cross. Terrible past, hopeless future, at present at least. But he got to enjoy a few more minutes as a saved person. And he sits in heaven today cheering on what we're doing down here. Is that not awesome? I tell you, there is hope for you. You may have come in here this morning. I have talked to people that come to this church. Well, you're not not here. I, I guarantee you here. I've talked to people recently who come here and told me after church, I don't think I can be saved. I don't think God can save me. He can save you. There is absolute hope for you. You don't understand my past. I I bet I can sit down and listen to it. You don't understand my present. Wasn't any worse than this, guys. How many of you have heard of Moses? I'm not talking about a rock star. I'm talking about the guy in the Bible. Moses was one of the most awesome men of God ever. Moses was a murderer. Moses was a hothead. I'm reading last night in the Bible where Moses does not get to go to the promised land because God tells him to speak to a rock and Moses swings and hits the rock with a stick. He's a hothead. Most preachers think he was swinging at a deacon and the deacon ducked and he hit the rock. You know who King David is? King David, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He was an adulterer and a murderer. He murders one of his best friends after he sleeps and gets his wife pregnant. And then he takes his wife. You know who Peter is in the New Testament? One of the greatest Christian leaders ever. Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter's a hothead. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is being arrested, Peter pulls out a sword and chops a guy's ear off. Is that not great? I mean, Jesus puts the ear back on. That's the cool thing about Jesus being with you. Hey, the ear fell off. Whoops, we'll take care of that. You go, you don't know my past. The apostle Paul, God used Paul to write 13 books of the New Testament. Paul, before he was a Christian, murdered Christians. He persecuted churches. 
And yet he went on to be one of the greatest Christians ever. I want to tell you, the only thing that's keeping you from hope is Y-O-U. It's you. That family member, friend you're praying for, there is hope. Keep banging on the doors of heaven. Keep loving them. Keep pointing the truth out to them. There is hope. You ever heard of an old crusty baseball player named Ty Cobb? Ty Cobb, arguably, was one of the greatest baseball players ever. He was a great hitter. He was a great base runner. He was a great fielder. And he was mean as a snake. He was just a mean, mean person. And he lived to be an old, old, mean old man. When he was on his deathbed dying, a preacher came to see him and shared Jesus. And Ty Cobb, probably cursing, said to him, he's saying, you're saying I can give my life to Christ now and everything in the past is gone, forgiven, and forgotten. He said, it won't be forgotten, (laughs) but it sure can be forgiven. And Mr. Cobb, if you've got five more minutes here, five more days, you can have a better life the rest of your life. Mr. Cobb, the moment you die, you can walk into heaven. Ty Cobb got saved. And here's what he said before he died in a few days. He said, you tell my friends, you tell the boys, I wish I'd have given my life to Christ at the top of the first instead of the bottom of the ninth. But boy, I'm sure glad I did it. And you tell them they need to do it too. There's hope this morning if we'll do what we have to do to realize it. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, it's either for your situation or it's for someone you love. Man, will you do everything you can do to experience that hope, to help them experience it? You're not a Christian this morning. You're unsure if you're a Christian. Would you pray with me if you're ready and you're sincere? Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and that you died and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning and I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, I want to challenge you to respond to Jesus this morning. You got a chance. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do it. You can certainly talk to us after church. But maybe when we stand, you want to come this morning and give your life to Christ. Come and do it. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church. Or you can come this morning and join us. I'm going to tell you, we're a place that's going to lift up hope. That's what you need. Come and join us. You're a Christian today. Maybe you are away from God. Man, I want to tell you, there is tremendous hope for you if you will do the things you need to do. Where you're standing at the altar, do them. Maybe there's that family member, that friend you're praying for, you're heartbroken over. We'd love to pray with you for them. You come, come today. Let's stand.